Hey, it's in a book. Welcome back. I am Lawrence Rouse. I am coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina, and you are listening to It's in a Book. Uh, for those of you who may have thought you might never listen to It's in a Book again, oh, sad, sad times, I know. Uh, I have a confession to make uh, with regard to why I have allowed another three weeks to elapse uh, when we're supposed to be a fortnightly show. Uh, hopefully you'll find a little bit of humor in it. Um, outside of the fact that my job has been really, really demanding lately, and of course I have the ever-present uh, excuse of my three-month-old who's now resting comfortably in bed for the night. Uh, it's about 10.30 p.m. on a Sunday evening. I have become involved in the craziest of things, considering that this is a podcast about books. I have become absolutely addicted to a canceled NBC television show. Uh, maybe some of you watched it back when it was uh, apparently groundbreaking uh, TV. The show is called Heroes. Uh, it's kind of, I guess the format was, uh, was really new to television at the time. Uh, it's kind of loosely based on on the way a comic book flows but uh, I was a big comic book reader when I was a kid uh, and this show has me absolutely addicted I, I know this is this is a, a very shameful thing uh, considering uh, how much I tout books here um, my everything has has uh, fallen off because of it I have hardly been reading um, you know the, the little bit of free time that I do have from my job and my commute and, uh, of course, the, the demands of family, I have actually spent watching Heroes. There are 77 episodes available on Netflix, and I think I'm in, in the 50s now. This after uh, about two weeks. I think I'm, I probably started it after after the last podcast. started out as, as just kind of a, a nice way to, to relax uh, in front of the the television as I uh, performed some of the late night feedings for Catherine and it has become uh, a shameful addiction so so there uh, heroes never ever open it on Netflix uh, unless you have the time to uh, to waste on 77 episodes so due to the fact that I, I still have 27 episodes to go approximately and uh, I'm in a really busy, busy phase at work right now. We are bringing you this abbreviated show. Um, according to uh, my sister-in-law, this is probably the length the show should always be, but it definitely won't get me through my commute that way. So we will be interviewing the cousin of a really good friend of mine from the Q course, uh, who is now... Uh, about to embark upon the Q course himself, uh, and you will hear him. He and I went down to Helio's Coffee Shop and endured some strange looks as we unpacked two microphones and uh, and put a three-month-old baby to sleep. Uh, and and she sat and and listened at first, and then finally fell asleep uh, as we talked. But as well, we will take a very quick survey of Anthony Trollope's novel, Can You Forgive Her? Now, I'm going to read you very quickly the, uh, the back cover of the Penguin edition of this, uh, of this wonderful, wonderful novel. I highly recommend that anything by Anthony Trollope you can get your hands on, uh, you just go ahead and, and dive into. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read the, the back cover of it here, and then we will head right into our interview. And then, of course, we will have a very short reading from Anthony Trollope's Can You Forgive Her? So, Can You Forgive Her is the first of the series of novels which contain the most sustained exercise of Anthony Trollope's imagination, the six Pallister novels. The others are Phineas Finn, The Eustace Diamonds, Phineas Redux, The Prime Minister, and The Duke's Children. Of them, Trollope wrote, By no amount of description could I succeed in making any reader understand how much these characters and their belongings have been to me in my latter life. Lofty critics might pounce on that and their belongings, but it reflects Trollope's remarkable gift recognized by his contemporaries 
for what Henry James called the complete appreciation of the usual. In this series, he applied the gift developed in the early Barsetshire novels to the wider world and larger possibilities of public life. In the story of Alice Vavasor and her vacillations between two suitors, he reveals a depth of insight into human conduct which will surprise those who know him only by his unjust reputation as the efficient manufacturer of entertaining novels of country life. So, there you have it. Anthony Trollope, Can You Forgive Her? We'll embark upon that in about 15-20 minutes uh, right after our interview. And in the meantime, thank you very, very much for coming back to listen to another episode of It's in a Book. And uh, I'm going to hurry up with this because I can hear the theme song for Heroes just uh, just playing in the background and waiting, waiting for me to head upstairs and watch another episode. It's in a book. See you after the break. So, our interview this first fortnight, rather, is uh, is with Hunter. You're going to say your last name for me, Hunter. Hetfield. Right. <laughs> Gets pronounced all sorts of different ways. Right. It's all right. Cool, cool. Well, I uh, first of all, I should point out that this is uh, our first or my first attempt at recording uh, an interview somewhere other than the comfort of my living room uh, slash office. Um, I have baby Catherine with me, so you'll probably hear her nice. making little yeah. little baby noises too. But we are on Glenwood South uh, in Helios Coffee, and uh, pretty pretty healthy background noise. Hopefully, we'll be able to edit it down. Um, Hunter is the friend of a, or the cousin rather, of a very good friend of mine from the uh, Special Forces Q course, uh, Dee Brar, and uh, he is now in Fayetteville trying his hand at the Special Forces Q course. See how it goes. Yeah, yeah. Like so, it so far. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about books today. So first, Hunter, uh, tell, tell whatever, uh, you know, tell us, the World Wide Web, whatever you're willing to divulge to the World Wide Web about yourself. About myself, oh goodness, that wasn't on the list. Of yeah, I know that, that was always a surprise. <laughs> so what, what do you got? Go for it. Oh, about just anything what, about you. Start with how uh, old you are. You know, uh, so 21? give us some perspective. Yeah, okay, twenty-one. Just turned twenty-one, uh, right? Happy birthday. Twenty-one. Yeah. Yep. The, uh, yesterday was a good time. Went to a concert here in Raleigh, and uh, uh, but I just got here to North Carolina from uh, Fort Benning. Been down here. I uh, was down there for a couple months. And Airborne school. Said, Airborne school. Airborne. <laughs> Gotta love it. The uh, good time. So coming up here, and the weather's been awesome. Can't find up here. I love it up here. Uh, but grew up in Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington. Right. Uh, Portland, Oregon as well. And then uh, I went to Oregon State for a couple years and uh, got a little monotonous and boring, so I thought I'd <laughs> venture out into the Army. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what it is about uh, SF guys and starting college and not yeah, finishing and it, yeah. but yeah, if that if that's any indicator, then you, you should <laughs> slide right into it. Yeah, 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 you definitely meet the criteria. I, I met more like, you know, guys who started college, and they yeah, usually yeah. go back and finish, you know, at some right. point, but uh, and decided they, they'd give the Army a try. Wow. Wow. So. No, I definitely don't regret it. It's been, you meet people that you never would meet anywhere else, and, uh, great experiences, and I think it prepares you a little bit better for going into college, actually, right. like, personally. I think so, too. I, I wish I had done it, you know, and then and then going to college, or, yeah. you know, yeah, so I, maybe I would have finished, mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I'm working on Good it. Good thing you did, because now we're here. Yeah, exactly, exactly, you know? Funny how life works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The the universe is unfolding exactly as it should, yeah, I hope. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. Sweet, sweet. Well, um, any, anything else you want to say? No. Hi to, to, to Dave and Melissa, yeah, something like that? Yeah, Melissa. And like they listen? Yeah, my Aunt Carla, I know she'll be listening to this. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, the Aunt Carla and Mom and Dad back home, sweet. all the other... It's in a book, listeners. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We're in a great little coffee shop here. And I got the co-interviewer, Kat. She's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. 
I think she's going to be quiet for a minute. So oh, yeah. uh, on, on that cue, we'll, we'll head right into the interview. Perfect. So I, I talked to Hunter uh, just a, a few seconds ago uh, about the questions. I, I uh, divulged all five questions to him. So he's had about, I don't know, two minutes to think yeah, about them. So, the so we'll head into the first one, uh, which is, of course, uh, it's a busy world these days. Uh, how do you find the time to read? Well, I'm actually pretty lucky right now because when we're going, uh, we're in a little hold right now and where we're at and uh, at work. So it's just a uh, it's pretty cool. We get off around one and we got some free time. So after working out, we've got some solid hours to read, especially um, you know before night, you know before I go to bed, at least a couple hours. So that's been great. Right, been right. Great to uh, do that. So I've caught up on a lot of good stuff. And, um, so I'm pretty lucky to say that. So I don't know how I do it though. You know, if I were you or right, right. doing something else, but uh, but yeah, I'm pretty lucky there. So. Well, in, enjoy the time right now. Oh, yeah. um, anyone out there who's worried about their their tax dollars being wasted with Hunter uh, uh, getting off at one o'clock every day, don't no. don't worry. We're we're gonna get it back from yeah. in spades. No, that's so. that's not a normal thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be. I will catch up on the hours. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, well. Um, the second question, of course, is um, how do you decide what to read? So tell us a little bit about how you uh, you pick your books. Well, coming out of, you know, obviously in school and universities, it's kind of, they'll kind of hook you up with what to read, and especially uh, if we're doing a certain uh, topic or something like that in school, I would, I would get off on little tangents, and I would, you know, if something came up in history class about this, I would, I would go check that out. Right, uh, good way to fill a class. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it is, it is, because you get off on a tangent, and before you know it, they've already moved on, and you're still at the old one. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. The, uh, the, yeah, it's that, and, uh, you know, and actually, my dad gave some good um, online, too, um, but my dad was an awesome um, contributor to that, to, to what I would read, because he had... He was a big fan of when he was growing up. Of books, kind of when he was growing up, and he's he's an older man now. So he, but yeah, a lot of the '60s and '70s books. Mark Twain was a big one, right? Um, and so I read a lot of him. And, um, but now, I would say how I pick my books is I hate to say it, but Kindle. They everyone knows <laughs> whatever they suggest. Yeah, you they you read what the what the voice on your Kindle tells you. Yeah, they got that. <laughs> and they got uh, uh, those advertisements. So right, uh, I'll, right. I'll be looking through those and uh, you know the ratings. And actually, it's great because you can see the ratings and everything else there. And, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah. But, well, uh, I mean, that's good. I, I've, yeah. I've uh, gotten some really good suggestions that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think Nook as opposed to Kindle, but. Uh, yeah. um, I recently signed up for Goodreads.com. Like they have a pretty, or maybe it's .org, something like that. It, you should look into yeah. it. It's a website where uh, you know readers all over the world just kind of keep track of what they read, and, and they often rate the books that they read. So uh, oh, yeah, that might interest you too. Yeah, check that out. So. Well, and not to mention, it's in a book too. Is another uh, <laughs> uh, another way to get the books. Seriously, listen to that Milroy the Magician. I'm gonna check yeah. out I, too. So I think yeah. that would be great. I, you're, it's gonna be great. You're, I love that book, yeah. uh, and I, I think you'll enjoy. Yeah. It's, it's an odyssey. Yeah. So, sweet, sweet. Well, the third question is, uh, and, and this one should be interesting coming coming from your perspective, uh, okay. you know, being in the Army uh, and being new to, to the Army experience. Uh, but I, I want you to talk a little bit about books as objects. Uh, do you prefer paper or digital? And, you know, how many books do you have? That sort of thing. So Definitely. The, well, yeah. I think we had a nice conversation about that uh, last time we met. But, uh, yeah, my got a Kindle. I always read paperback and, you know, hard copies. Uh, always. And it wasn't until last Christmas that my godparents got me a Kindle and it was, I was checking it out and it's pretty cool. It's convenient because you can download the book right then and there and you don't uh, gotta wait or, you know, make a trip to the bookstore. And, right. Whispernet uh, or whatever they call it. Right, right. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so I was doing that and it was great. And, um, but, you know, I was like paperback, always bringing that on trips or something like that. But then, yeah, I would say after the army and then coming out of basic and you know just you know moving around to schools and moving around and living out of your duffel bag basically right the Kindle has been great because it really saves a lot of space uh, yeah would yeah be taken up. <laughs> um, and if you're not anything like me where you're trying to read three or four uh, different books at a time right that's another uh Kindle's great with that because it'll save your spot you don't got to carry the three four books around and you know you gotta ditch those things so um so yeah i think it's uh, it's been great, actually. I'm actually it kind of sucks now, but I kind of prefer the electronic uh, version a little bit because um, I don't know. I, th- I, I kind of like it a little bit better because it's a little bit more. That's a good word for it. Uh, you can 
use it in more places, I guess. So, you know, if, right. if my roommate's trying to sleep or something, I can turn the lights out. And I can, right, you know, and, I can, and use a backlight use or, backlight or whatever. Or I can, right. you know, uh, especially what's great, a lot of the big words when I'm reading some of the classics or something like that. Just look it right up? Yeah, I can look it right up. It's yeah. been great, and especially reading a lot of Mark Twain. He uses some of those words that yeah. I have no idea what he's doing. <laughs> so I just highlight that, and it's, it's, it's a great way to you can look at mocap too. So, uh, right. And, and, so so, yeah, so you, was, you've been transformed into a, a digital reader yeah, now. Digital huh? reader oh, now. man, yeah. it's crazy. So <laughs> I, I mean, that's not a true complaint. Yeah. I, I have a, a Nook, and uh, um, we now have a Kindle to replace our, our broken Nook. And uh, But I, I still, something about the, the paper experience, man, you know? With, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm just a dinosaur yeah. Uh, yeah. in that regard. The, the older generation. Yeah, <laughs> watch your mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite 40 yet. Soon, God is close. So, sweet. Well, the third question is, or that was the third question. The fourth question, uh, and this is this is everyone's favorite question, okay. um, appropriately enough, because the question is, what's your favorite book of all time? Oh, goodness gracious! Yeah, yeah. asking that. I Everyone know. complains, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah. you gotta ask it. It's like your favorite movie, you know? It's, it, yeah, very difficult to, to nail down, but but I want you to at least give it an attempt. My favorite book. Hmm. So I would. I'm a big Mark Twain fan. I've really gotten into Mark Twain. I, yeah, I can tell. I can tell. You've yeah, mentioned him a few times it's, now. It's weird. Uh, you know, I never really liked him kind of growing up because I thought it was a little weird. You know, Huckleberry Finn, you read that, and it's kind of cool. And, you know, but you kind of take it, kind of just kind of goes over the head and reading a lot of other stuff. And, uh, but then as you get older, you kind of realize a lot of stuff and a lot of knowledge hidden in, in, in some right. of the scripts and stuff. And so um, I really, I've been really enjoying him. So uh, it would ha- maybe have to be a Mark Twain book. And out of the Mark Twain books, there's one I just got got done with it again. And I read it twice, but Life on the Mississippi. Life on the Mississippi. Life huh? on the Mississippi is not a. I really enjoyed it because it's a. I mean, funny. He's got his humor in it. Right. There's a lot of kind of lessons in, in what you learn about him trying to navigate the Mississippi. You know? Right. So uh, is it like a series of, of little tales, or, or is it more yeah, like a, no- a, a novel? Exactly. It's more of a novel. It's about him. Uh, it's funny. He. he he wants to go down, and it's kind of like kind of every young person. He starts off, and he he wants to go on this grand adventure. He you know he doesn't want to stay with his parents on the farm, so he gets up and he wants to go to Panama or something. So he takes a steamboat down the Mississippi, and he he just thinks he's gonna make it. He you know he's got 200 bucks, and well he gets there, and, and, and Mark Twain's kind of humored, saying you know two bucks, 200 dollars wasn't nearly enough for my ride. <laughs> right, <Panama."> right. So, <laughs> so he said kind of understated. Right, right. So he said he would settle for a uh, steamboat guy. Uh, to be a steamboat pilot or co-pilot until uh, he could get enough money. And so the whole thing about him just learning this, to be the co-pilot on one of these steamboats and, uh, and, you know, all the him trying to, me- he has to memorize the 1,200-mile-long river and cer- during certain times, and that's kind of the whole thing about him trying to remember all this stuff. So that's pretty funny. Uh, it's, it's, and then kind of the steamboat life and how that, you know, back when they used to do all that stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it's nothing like steamboat life now. Oh, so. Not at all. <laughs> the, the riverboat gambling trips they got on those and the GPS pilots, I'm sure. No, right, no, right. But uh, just the adventure of it. Uh, right. Kind of, uh, what a, I think a good picture and kind of a funny picture of how it kind of was back there. And, right. And, and that quirky kind of Twain humor he's got. But yeah, I, I really enjoy that one. And uh, there's a couple other ones that have been kind of influential of, you know, doing that. Right. Hook Finn, have you, have you, have you read yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hook yeah, I love Huffman's class. I, I have to confess, man, I, I haven't read very much Mark Twain. I, like, my, my exposure to Mark Twain is pretty much limited to, you know, like the excerpts that you right. read in high school or right. whatever. And right. it, it's not because I didn't love it, but I, I was really big into, like, sci-fi and that sort of thing mm-hmm. in, in high school. And, and I just, you know, never got around to reading yeah. Mark Twain. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm really going to have to get into it. Yeah, well, I just got into So, yeah, I'm recent, too. So it's not... And then, yeah, and he, he does have a quirky... I mean, a lot of people aren't into him because he does, definitely does have a different kind of... Uh, style of writing so, right right um, i think he's like one of those authors that everyone is aware of but not many many people have read right um right so yeah at least in modern times right right no so. definitely i would i would agree to that statement so it's yeah definitely but yeah so i'd have to go with life on the mississippi life on the mississippi huh yeah. sweet sweet yeah. that was that, that wasn't a struggle at all man no, you know no. uh, you typically i see I mean, there was facial like four contortions running, yeah, four or five running in my head so you just got to pick one and go for it so, right i like uh, that i like so. that yeah <laughs> take the initiative mm-hmm. you're, you're gonna be a great sf mm-hmm. guy so oh. <laughs> we'll see thank you yeah yeah
All right, well, that brings us, uh, um, unfortunately, it seems like this was really fast. I know we've probably been here, like, way longer than I think, but yeah. uh, or talking at least. Fast, yeah, but. man. Yeah, we'll have to find something else to talk about. Yeah, and, um, add another question to the uh, Yeah, to the mix. Yeah. <laughs> so, but maybe you can just talk a lot about this last question, uh, and uh, um, it is, what are you reading right now? So, And, and you can talk about as many books as you'd like uh, mm-hmm. if you're reading, reading right two or now. three. Yeah, so got two three running in the mix but I read a really good one I just got done with it actually yesterday or a couple days ago um, and it's this investigative writer his name is Charlie LaDuff Charlie um, LaDuff Charlie huh? LaDuff um, and it's called Detroit and Autopsy yeah we talked about this in the car the other day yep, a little bit yep and so I just got done with it and it was awesome I've never really been into the uh, I mean in fact I'm just new to kind of the investigative reporting kind of current event uh, that kind of style writing instead of like a classic novel or something like that right um, right I just Sorry, the, uh, no problem. I just got into it, and the, uh, <laughs> it was great. It was, he's really, I mean, he definitely takes a certain kind of reader to read it. Um, he's definitely, you know. Is the, he long-winded? The, or? He's definitely the Detroit kind of hard-nosed investigative writer. I, mean, uh-huh. I don't know how else to best explain it, but it's about him. Uh, he was in L.A., he won a Pulitzer Prize, and, you know, good guy, but he had a kid, and so he said, oh, man, I can't be doing this. And so he actually goes back to Detroit and just to work for this paper there, and everyone's wondering, this is right after Detroit, uh, Declare bankruptcy, right? And right. the shambles. So it's really good. And it goes on about how he he couldn't stand for it because he sees all this corruption and all this other stuff going on. Right. So it's great to kind of see the back workings of all these kind of scams. And if anyone keeps up with that kind of or was listening to Detroit, all the corruption scandals and stuff. Right. So right. it's cool to look up and, and read about them. And then he had his take on him, and he actually was not influential, but he, he knew a lot of the people. Not. So he, he's from Detroit, right. or from Detroit, and moved right. out to L.A. So and, and got, kind of got big and right. came so back. The mayor, and you know, because he was a big time reporter. So I'm, I've never, I'm not, you know, as I said, I'm new to this too. So, but I'm sure he's big in the reporting world or something like that. Right. So he uh, had all connections, you know, with government and had to be a fire chief, whatever. And so, um, kind of see the back workings of these uh, kind of political. Uh, corrupting scandals and everything else. Right. And, uh, so, so after having finished a book, like, what do you think right. about the whole Detroit thing? I mean, could, oh, it, could it have happened to any city? Oh, is crazy. it is it you know, a direct result of, of the you, corruption? You know, just and, and yeah, just running out of people, just not doing the, the right thing. You mm-hmm. know, uh, just man, I don't even know how to. You read it, and your mind's just kind of blown because you're like, wow, this really could happen to any city. And I'm sure it does. You know, I'm not right. um, saying that. You know, Detroit's the only one, but you start seeing, and he kind of really plays into how, you know, in the 50s, they've always been kind of our boomtown industry, you know, our main machine, Detroit's, you know, the American, all Right, city. right, all the, the automotive right. industry, right, I mean, right. like, which was, you know, for right. a long time was, was like a staple right. of our, right. our. So now he's kind of showing how, you know, Detroit's now in the shambles. And so Detroit showed our, our uprising because it showed it was our first, you know, big powerhouse city. And so everyone kind of followed that. And now they're the stone where they're falling apart. And now you start seeing some other cities start having the same problem so he kind of tries to dissect what kind of went wrong and, um, hopefully and, to prevent it from yeah, happening again yeah, yeah. and so and, yeah but you you hear some of these stories and they're just outrageous just oh my gosh yeah but, uh, i'm sure um, but yeah so i got done reading that so i actually really enjoyed him so i'm re- starting i might read another book about him he's got another one called uh, work in other sins and it's actually new york city oh you know what's funny i i own uh i own one of his books i, well, I own that particular book I, and yeah yeah oh, I, I picked it up like you know at a remainder sale right, um, right yeah yeah i'm sure yeah <laughs> but um but yeah so I'll, I'll have to look into that yeah um, not this one yeah I, I i just i haven't even looked at looked into it yet so um i just got it and so i had to do some other stuff but um yeah so got done with that and then uh what am I reading? And then the other one I was reading is called An Army of Dawn. Uh, it's Rick Atkinson's series. Army of Dawn, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's actually, it's a World War II, it's a trilogy. They're huge books, oh my gosh. And that's what the one thing that kept me away from them, actually, because I saw them in the bookstores and stuff, just, Barnes and Noble. Just too damn big. Oh, 500 <laughs> pages, I mean, it's like... Right, and, and it's and a trilogy, it's, so it's right, like a 1,500-page right, read. So, yeah, there's all three of them. So Army of Dawn's the first one, and all three. It's about World War II, and you know, I've done... I think we all done our fair share of doing the history of World War II, and right. so I was a little haphazard about. Now, it, is it a novel, like, or or is it? So it's kind of like historical fiction, or, or no, so uh, it's actually um, just straight up historical. Um, he, okay. He, t- he takes it through all, and so the first one's all about the invasion of North Africa. So right. Uh, but he takes all three. You know, he takes the big picture, the political scene, movements of it, but he takes the commander's view of it, you know, from a, had to be a battalion or a company or a uh, division, and then he kind of takes, you know, soldier to soldier, uh, 
uh, views of the whole thing. So you really get an awesome picture. And North, to be honest, North Airfield is, uh, I don't really know a whole lot about it. Uh, the, the whole major start, because you all hear about D-Day and Normandy and Italy, and but you, you, you start to see this, uh, it's funny because it's how unprepared we were at the beginning of this thing. And so, right, um, right. So we awesome. mean the Allied forces? Right, right. right. Because, they, you know, it's been a while, and uh, here they are taken, and it's been, you know, since 1920s, since World War One, since anything's really happened. And so it kind of shows how it's like this first this first test of this thing. Oh, my gosh. You read these stories, and you, you wonder how we, we won anything. But <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is an awesome book, and I highly recommend it to anybody. Right. Uh, because it is. It, it's long and whatever, but right. the ratings, because I kept looking at it, but every, I mean, I couldn't find a bad rating anywhere. I mean, it was... Wow, I, wow. I kept yeah. looking, and, and I thought, that was a little weird, because I've never seen it. Usually, it's... A, yeah, it's, I, I, I hadn't heard of it either, but I mean, I, that's kind of like a, a, you know, something that's like kind of big, but it right. kind of limited to the people who know about it, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. So. so, I saw ratings everywhere, and so I said, you know, I might as well just, you know, get Dig it. In. It was on sale, so I might right. as well just check it out, and yeah, it is... It is it's mind-blowing because you really learn a lot, a lot of political uh, motives behind everything, too. And that right. was the one thing you don't really hear about either. So it's good to know about the political motivations of certain things and how that works. And so, right, um, right. I yeah. Really, I really enjoy that. So I, I think, man, like war, uh, like like many things in life, you know, uh, like you'll hear people say uh, you don't have to out outswim the shark you just have to outswim the guy next to you right you know when, when yep. you talk about like how unprepared our forces oh, were yeah, yeah, you know yeah yeah it was oh i mean it was abysmal just the, the whole invasions and oh my gosh it was and you never hear about i mean you only hear really about the good that's not bad but you, you see what you know happened wrong what went wrong the first time so you don't do it again and so right, so you right. really do you you really paints a really good picture about what it was like, and especially the day-to-day life that those guys had. Oh right, gosh. which was, I'm oh. sure, incredibly yeah. horrible. Yeah, it makes um, it fortunate for what we got now. Right, know? right, so, yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine having been, you know, in in some of the situations that, that you know, our forefathers were in with regard to war. I mean, yeah. it, it gets, <laughs> it, this is this seems really crazy to say, but war gets better and better. Yeah. <laughs> there was a question mark at the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so. no, it's humbling, to, you know, that some stuff, so. Right, um, right. But, yeah, those are the two books I just finished and I'm reading kind of right now, so. Sweet. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm getting back more into the classical, uh, kind of going back there, so The Great Gatsby is next on the list, I think. Nice, uh, nice. Some Scott's Gerald, so. Yeah. It's Gerald, that'll be good. Right, right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I'm reading next yet, but uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see, we'll yeah. see, so. You don't know what you're reading yet? No, I don't know what I'm reading next. No, no, I don't. Um, what are you reading right now? I, I'm reading uh, the the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde by Juno Diaz. Mm-hmm. He won the, the Pulitzer Prize in fiction for it. Yeah, um, I, th- I talked about it in the very last podcast. I, yeah, I'm a couple of pages from finishing that. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna add this in the current events here or what you're doing, but the uh, yeah, the Oscar Wilde. That's. Hey, hey, you so like have it. you read that? No, I've heard about those. It was on this list I saw about every you know books that everybody should read or something like that. And right. I saw that, so I wanted to check it out. So you got to yeah. tell me how. I'll let you know how, how it turns goes. out. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. How far are you into it? Are you? I, I'm I'm really close to, to oh, finishing. Really? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So yeah, almost done. And and I don't know what's next. Yeah. So But I got a I got a nook and a Kindle full of books. So I'll just mm-hmm. just kind of you know close my eyes and, and put my finger down. Yep. So. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, I guess uh, I guess you know we should give up this table uh, in, in Helios. They're pretty busy today, um, busy. as you can busy hear. When we started here. Yeah, cool. yeah. Well, I mean the line was long, but uh, yeah. the tables weren't full. But yeah. now they are. Yeah. So yeah. people next to us are probably wondering what. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what the two weirdos are <laughs> yeah, talking about. Yeah. So, um, Kat has uh, has gone to sleep. She's she's uh, beautifully quiet here in my arms. Yes, I wish so. there was a picture here. It is. I mean, this is great. This <laughs> you know, that's something I'm thinking about uh, starting to add some photos. I'm, I'm gonna take a couple of you. Um, and I'm thinking about doing like a, a little uh, gallery for each interview for each right. podcast. Oh, that's so, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. start it so. after me. Don't don't do it this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's happening. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I guess that's going to bring to a close our interview for this fortnight. Um, Hunter, thank you very very much hey, for you, uh, this is for interviewing, yeah. and uh, I, I guess I'll be seeing you around uh, around the Q course there. Of course, so, yeah. of course. Thank All you right. for the coffee. Don't mention it. Don't mention it. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, we'll see you in the uh, in the next segment. See you after the page break. Bye bye. Can you forgive her? By Anthony Trollope. Volume one. 
Chapter 1 Mr. Vavasor and His Daughter Whether or no she, whom you are to forgive, if you can, did or did not belong to the upper ten thousand of this, our English world, I am not prepared to say with any strength of affirmation. By blood, she was connected with big people, distantly connected with some very big people indeed, people who belonged to the upper ten hundred, if there be any such division. But of these very big relations, she had known and seen little, and they had cared as little for her. Her grandfather, Squire Vavasor of Vavasor Hall in Westmoreland, was a country gentleman, possessing some thousand a year at the outside, and he therefore never came up to London, and had no ambition to have himself numbered as one in any exclusive set. A hot-headed, ignorant, honest old gentleman, he lived ever at Vavasor Hall, declaring to any who would listen to him that the country was going to the mischief, and congratulating himself that at any rate, in his county, parliamentary reform had been powerless to alter the old political arrangements. Alice Vavasor, whose offense against the world I am to tell you, and if possible to excuse, was the daughter of his younger son, and as her father, John Vavasor, had done nothing to raise the family name to eminence, Alice could not lay claim to any high position from her birth as a Vavasor. John Vavasor had come up to London early in life as a barrister, and had failed. He had failed at least in attaining either much wealth or much repute, though he had succeeded in earning, or perhaps I might better say, in obtaining a livelihood. He had married a lady somewhat older than himself, who was in possession of 400 a year, and who was related to those big people to whom I have alluded. Who these were, and the special nature of their relationship, I shall be called upon to explain hereafter. But at present, it will suffice to say that Alice MacLeod gave great offense to all her friends by her marriage. She did not, however, give them much time for the indulgence of their anger. Having given birth to a daughter within twelve months of her marriage, she died, leaving in abeyance that question as to whether the fault of her marriage should or should not be pardoned by her family. When a man marries an heiress for her money, if that money be within her control, as was the case with Miss MacLeod's fortune, it is generally well for the speculating lover that the lady's friends should quarrel with him and with her. She is thereby driven to throw herself entirely into the gentleman's arms, and he thus becomes possessed of the wife and the money without the abominable nuisance of stringent settlements. But the MacLeods, though they quarreled with Alice, did not quarrel with her a la trance. They snubbed herself and her chosen husband, but they did not so far separate themselves from her and her affairs as to give up the charge of her possessions. Her four hundred a year was settled very closely on herself and on her children, without even a life interest having been given to Mr. Vavasor. And therefore, when she died, the mother's fortune became the property of the little baby. But, under these circumstances, the big people did not refuse to interest themselves to some extent on behalf of the father. I do not suppose that any actual agreement or compact was made between Mr. Vavasor and the MacLeods, but it came to be understood between them that if he made no demand upon them for his daughter's money and allowed them to have charge of her education, they would do something for him. He was a practicing barrister, though his practice had never amounted to much, and a practicing barrister is always supposed to be capable of filling any situation which may come his way. Two years after his wife's death, Mr. Vavasor was appointed assistant commissioner 
in some office which had to do with insolvents, and which was abolished three years after his appointment. It was at first thought that he would keep his 800 a year for life and be required to do nothing for it. But a wretched, cheese-pairing Whig government, as John Vavasar called it when describing the circumstances of the arrangement to his father down in Westmoreland, would not permit this. It gave him the option of taking 400 a year for doing nothing, or of keeping his whole income and attending three days a week for three hours a day during term time at a miserable, dingy little office near Chancery Lane, where his duty would consist in signing his name to accounts which he never read, and at which he was never supposed even to look. He had sulkily elected to keep the money, and this signing had been now for nearly twenty years the business of his life. Of course he considered himself to be a very hardly used man. One Lord Chancellor after another he petitioned, begging that he might be relieved from the cruelty of his position, and allowed to take his salary without doing anything in return for it. The amount of work which he did perform was certainly a minimum of labor. Term time, as terms were counted in Mr. Vavasor's office, hardly comprised half the year, and the hours of weekly attendance did not do more than make one day's work a week for a working man. But Mr. Vavasor had been appointed as an assistant commissioner, and with every Lord Chancellor he argued that all Westminster Hall and Lincoln's Inn to boot had no right to call upon him to degrade himself by signing his name to accounts. In answer to every memorial, he was offered the alternative of freedom with half his income. And so the thing went on. There can, however, be no doubt that Mr. Vavasor was better off and happier with his almost nominal employment than he would have been without it. He always argued that it kept him in London, but he would undoubtedly have lived in London with or without his official occupation. He had become so habituated to London life in a small way, before the choice of leaving London was open to him, that nothing would have kept him long away from it. After his wife's death, he dined at his club every day on which a dinner was not given to him by some friend elsewhere, and was rarely happy except when so dining. They who have seen him scanning the steward's list of dishes and giving the necessary orders for his own and his friend's dinner at about half past four in the afternoon have seen John Vavasor at the only moment of the day at which he is ever much in earnest. All other things are light and easy to him, to be taken easily and to be dismissed easily. Even the eating of dinner calls forth from him no special sign of energy. Sometimes a frown will gather on his brow as he tastes the first half glass from his bottle of claret, but as a rule, that which he has prepared for himself with so much elaborate care is consumed with only pleasant enjoyment. Now and again it will happen that the cook is treacherous even to him, and then he can hit it hard, but in hitting he is quiet and strikes with a smile on his face. Such had been Mr. Vavasor's pursuits and pleasures in life up to the time at which my story commences. But I must not allow the reader to suppose that he was a man without good qualities. Had he, when young, possessed the gift of industry, I think that he might have shown in his profession, and have been well spoken of and esteemed in the world. As it was, he was a discontented man, but nevertheless he was popular, and to some extent esteemed. He was liberal as far as his means would permit. He was a man of his word, and he understood well that code of bylaws 
which was presumed to constitute the character of a gentleman in his circle. He knew how to carry himself well among men, and understood thoroughly what might be said and what might not, what might be done among those with whom he lived, and what should be left undone. By nature, too, he was kindly disposed, loving many persons a little, if he loved few or none passionately. Moreover, at the age of fifty, he was a handsome man, with a fine forehead, round which the hair and beard was only beginning to show itself to be gray. He stood well with the large person, only now beginning to become corpulent. His eyes were bright and gray, and his mouth and chin were sharply cut and told of gentle birth. Most men who knew John Vavasor well declared it to be a pity that he should spend his time in signing accounts in Chassery Lane. I have said that Alice Vavasor's big relatives cared but little for her in her early years, but I have also said that they were careful to undertake the charge of her education, and I must explain away this little discrepancy. The biggest of these big people had hardly heard of her, but there was a certain Lady MacLeod, not very big herself, but as it were, hanging on to the skirts of those who were so, who cared very much for Alice. She was the widow of a Sir Archibald MacLeod, KCB, who had been a soldier, she herself having also been a MacLeod by birth, and for very many years past, from a time previous to the birth of Alice Vavasor, she had lived at Cheltenham, making short sojourns in London during the spring, when the contents of her limited purse would admit of her doing so. Of old Lady MacLeod, I think I may say that she was a good woman. That she was a good woman, though subject to two of the most serious drawbacks to goodness which can afflict a lady. She was a Calvinistic Sabbatarian in religion, and in worldly matters she was a devout believer in the high rank of her noble relatives. She could almost worship a youthful Marquis, though he lived a life that would disgrace a heathen among heathens, and she could and did, in her own mind, condemn crowds of commonplace men and women to all eternal torments of which her imagination could conceive because they listened to profane music in a park on Sunday. Yet she was a good woman. Out of her small means, she gave much away. She owed no man anything. She strove to love her neighbors. She bore much pain with calm, unspeaking endurance, and she lived in trust of a better world. Alice Vavasar, who was after all only her cousin, she loved with an exceeding love, and yet Alice had done very much to extinguish such love. Alice, in the years of her childhood, had been brought up by Lady MacLeod. At the age of twelve, she had been sent to a school in Aix-la-Chapelle. A comitatus of her relatives, having agreed that such was to be her fate, much in opposition to Lady MacLeod's judgment. At nineteen, she had returned to Cheltenham, and after remaining there for little more than a year, had expressed her unwillingness to remain longer with her cousin. She could sympathize neither with her relative's faults or virtues. She made an arrangement, therefore, with her father that they too would keep house together in London and so they had lived for the last five years. For Alice Vavasor, when she will be introduced to the reader, had already passed her twenty-fourth birthday. Their mode of life had been singular and certainly not in all respects satisfactory. Alice, when she was twenty-one, had the full command of her own fortune, and when she induced her father, who for the last fifteen years had lived in lodgings, to take a small house in Queen Anne Street, 
Of course, she offered to incur a portion of the expense. He had warned her that his habits were not those of a domestic man, but he had been content simply so to warn her. He had not felt it to be his duty to decline the arrangement because he knew himself to be unable to give his child all that attention which a widowed father under such circumstances should pay to an only daughter. The house had been taken and Alice and he had lived together, but their lives had been quite apart. For a short time, for a month or two, he had striven to dine at home and even to remain at home through the evening, but the work had been too hard for him and he had utterly broken down. He had said to her and to himself that his health would fail him under the effects of so great a change made so late in life, and I am not sure that he had not spoken truly. At any rate, the effort had been abandoned, and Mr. Vavasor now never dined at home, nor did he and his daughter ever dine out together. Their joint means did not admit of their giving dinners, and therefore they could not make their joint way in the same circle. It thus came to pass that they lived apart, quite apart. They saw each other, probably daily, but they did little more than see each other. They did not even breakfast together, and after three o'clock in the day, Mr. Vavasor was never to be found in his own house. Miss Vavasor had made for herself a certain footing in society, though I am disposed to doubt her right to be considered as holding a place among the upper 10,000. Two classes of people she had chosen to avoid, having been driven to such avoidings by her aunt's preferences, marquees and such alike, whether wicked or otherwise she had eschewed, and had eschewed likewise all low church tendencies. The eschewing of marquees is not generally very difficult. Young ladies living with their fathers on very moderate incomes in or about Queen Anne Street are not usually much troubled on that matter. Nor can I say that Miss Vavasor was so troubled. But with her, there was a certain definite thing to be done towards Eschewel. Lady MacLeod by no means avoided her noble relatives, nor did she at all avoid Alice Vavasor. When in London, she was persevering in her visits to Queen Anne Street, though she considered herself, nobody knew why, not to be on speaking terms with Mr. Vavasor. And she strove hard to produce an intimacy between Alice and her noble relatives, such an intimacy as that which she herself enjoyed, an intimacy which gave her a footing in their houses, but no footing in their hearts, or even in their habits. But all this Alice declined with as much consistency as she did those other struggles which her old cousin made on her behalf. Strong, never flagging, but ever failing efforts to induce the girl to go such, to such places of worship as Lady MacLeod herself frequented. A few words must be said to Alice Vavasor's person. One fact also must be told, and then, I believe, I may start upon my story. As regards her character, I will leave it to be read in the story itself. The reader already knows that she appears upon the scene at no very early age, and the mode of her life had perhaps given to her an appearance of more years than those which she really possessed. It was not that her face was old, but that there was nothing that was girlish in her manners. Her demeanor was as staid and her voice as self-possessed as though she had already been ten years married. In person, she was tall and well-made, rather large in her neck and shoulders, as were all the Vavasors, but by no means fat. Her hair was brown, but very dark, and she wore it rather lower upon her forehead than is customary at the present day. Her eyes, too, were dark, though they were not black, and her complexion, though not quite that of a brunette, was far, 
away from being fair. Her nose was somewhat broad and retroussé too, but to my thinking, it was a charming nose, full of character, and giving to her face at times a look of pleasant humor, which it would otherwise have lacked. Her mouth was large and full of character, and her chin oval, dimpled, and finely chiseled like her father's. I beg you in taking her for all in all to admit that she was a fine, handsome, high-spirited young woman. And now for my fact. At the time of which I am writing, she was already engaged to be married. And so comes to a close another episode of It's In a Book. Thank you very much for listening in one more fortnight, and hopefully there are many, many, many more to come. Um, a few notes. Uh, I really apologize that the last couple of episodes have been uh, so far between, but it's a very busy time for me, and uh, and I will do my best to uh, to cut down on the time in between episodes. Uh, of course, you know, no, no less than fortnight. Um, I can't really think of, of much else uh, that, that I need to close out on. Um, we'll try and get another episode up again uh, very quickly. Hopefully, um, like I said last time, uh, before a fortnight elapses, I, I kind of like to catch up. I think I'm about an episode and a half behind, so I'd really love to take care of that. Um, as far as that goes, uh, give us a call. Give us a call or send us an email. Uh, and we can interview. We would love to interview some strangers out there in Raleigh. Most of our interviews so far and the next few are, are folks kind of close to home, uh, neighbors and, and friends and, and relatives. But I would love to interview uh, some, some Raleigh strangers about, uh, about what they read and how they read and, and how they, they read what they read. So um, look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much. It's in a book. See you in a fortnight. Bye-bye.